Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté que la grande famille de l'Église 180. Well, thank you very much for your very warm welcome this morning. And it's a delight for me to be back at the 180 and to share with you. This morning, we're going to talk about communicating with God this Thanksgiving in a biblical, Trinitarian manner. But before we start, let me create a context for you. Um, about something that my wife and I have been doing where we've been taking the initiative to squeeze some meaning. And this weekend, to squeeze some thanksgiving into the lives of our neighbors where we live in Shamedy. Like you, you know that the people around where you live have gone through a time of an awful lot of suffering and a lot of questions, and a lot of emotional upheaval since the 20th of March, 2020. It's been an occasion for me to reconnect with my neighbors in our little neighborhood, 12 of them to be uh, precise, where Sandy and I have taken the initiative to try and squeeze some meaning into these tumultuous times in which we live. Now, uh, some context within the context. When Sandy and I moved into our neighborhood uh, 35 years ago, uh, it was a classic Shamedy neighborhood. Uh, 60% of our neighbors were French Canadians, 40% were English Montrealers. We were out on our street, the 12 of us, back the summer of 2020, and in the course of the conversation, we discovered that Glenn was the only person in our neighborhood who was born in Canada. Only adult. Some of the kids were. In other words, my neighborhood, like your neighborhood, was not only going through a specific moment of tumultuous times, but our neighborhood has gone through massive changes over the course of the last 35 years. I had all sorts of people come to me with questions and comments and how do you get through these times. And so finally, last Christmas, Sandy and I decided that we would go neighbor to neighbor. Um, we got a wonderful uh, picture book of the life of Jesus in Palestine. And with an invitation for an online Christmas uh, pageant spectacle that, that our church was putting on, we went house to house, neighbor to neighbor, to wish them a wonderful Christmas. We gave them the gift, and we invited them to watch this pageant online. 
when it got to Valentine's, we decided let's do it again. And so we kind of did the Montreal thing. You know, we got chocolate. Um, uh, we, got, uh, uh, we got a little gift bag for them. And we did the same thing. Um, Easter came along, and we said, we're on a roll. And so we went to Canadian Tire. We bought little plants for all of our neighbors. Sandy wrote up a little thing about what Easter means in the Christian tradition because um, there's only one other couple that are followers of Jesus amongst the 12. And so we gave it to them. Um, A really fun thing happened Um, because three of our neighbors come from uh, North Africa. Um, They're Muslim in both their belief and their practice. And for those of you that know anything about Islam, you know that on the last day of Islam, it's a day of kindness and, uh, and of practicing generosity. And so our Muslim neighbors returned the favor and they brought to us some of those wonderful delis from, from North Africa. Um, on Friday, I was out on the street and one of my neighbors came along with his granddaughter and she looked at me and she said, I'm reading that book that you wrote. And I'm thinking, no, you're not. But um, you wouldn't be reading books on missiology and theology. But she said, yeah, yeah, that book that has all those pictures. And I said, oh, that book was written by my friend Tom Wright. And he says, well, he looks a whole lot like you, except you've got a beard. And I thought, oh, the picture book is still on the cabinet table. So what have Sandy and I done this weekend, we've been going door to door, house to house, with a little empty journal, and we've given them to them, given it to each of our neighbors with a little verse out of the Psalter, encouraging people to have a little diary to mark down all their thanksgivings. We're trying to squeeze some meaning in these tumultuous times. Um, of course, now the ante is up. Because one of my neighbors said, well, what are you going to bring at Christmas? I said, let's just get through Thanksgiving. (laughs) The text of Scripture that we want to look at this morning is in part about Thanksgiving. And that's really where I want us to make the, the so what, the practical application when we get to the end. Um, our, Our text comes with a purpose this weekend. It's not just about how we communicate with our neighbors, but how do we communicate with God? And how do we communicate with God about each other as a part of the 180, but how do we communicate with God about our neighbors, about us? Um, We're going to read the text here in, in just a moment, but let me begin with three preliminary reflections. Um, Our text comes out of the letter that St. Paul wrote to the Philippians. It's in chapter 1, and it goes from verse 3 to 8, and then it goes for verses 9 to 11. So you'll you'll see that in just a minute. Philippi was an incredibly important city in the Roman Empire. Uh, It was small by our standards and by Roman standards. It was only about 50,000 people. But um, Luke called it a Roman colony the first city of the district. And that's because this city had been built by Julius Caesar during his reign as the Caesar of the Roman Empire. It was the outpost for the Roman military as she made her moves into the eastern part of the empire. 
um, there's one archaeologist who did a lot of work on, on Philippi at the end of the 19th century, and he discovered that Philippi had been built to scale to the city of Rome because there was such a large Latin bureaucracy and military presence, they didn't want people not to feel at home. And so they built Philippi to scale. And this archaeologist referred to Philippi as a Rome in miniature. But what made Philippi even more important than being a colony or the first city of the district is that it was on the, well, let's just say, it, it was on the auto route 40 of the Roman Empire, that Via Eniata that went from Rome to Antioch and ultimately on to Constantinople and back. Anybody who was traveling by foot had to go through Philippi. And as you'll remember, in Acts chapter 16, when Paul gets a vision and he hears that voice, the, what we now call the Macedonian call, the first city that he went to was nothing other than Philippi. And the eastern expansion of the church, the European expansion of the church, begins. Um, this letter he wrote is quite unique in the letters of St. Paul. There, there's no great doctrinal situation to be resolved, like in, say, Galatians. There were no great uh, ethical issues uh, to deal with, as in the Corinthian correspondence. Um, there's no great um, theological treatise, like you might see in his letter to the Ephesians. Rather, this is a very personal letter, because Paul perceived that there was rivalry, envy, opposition, backbiting going on in the church. And it gets to its culminating point in chapter 4 when Paul says to Udiah and to Syntyche, I want you to get along. And he actually invites Clement to come in and to be a conflict resolution agent. Now imagine for just a minute if... Um, God in his providence decides not to come back. If there's a letter written about the 180 2,000 years from now and two of you are named in the letter because you're not getting along, that's what Udiah and Syntyche are now known for. And that's why Paul wrote this letter. Now, that's my first reflection. My second reflection is this. This letter, particularly the beginning that we're going to look like, is a classic letter, what we often call an epistle. And Paul, as a Jew that had been brought outside of Palestine, he knew how to write, write Greek-type letters. But there's a special twist that we're going to see in just a minute. And, and so then that leads to my third re pre preliminary reflection. You see, as we, as we get into this communicating with God in these two little paragraphs. We see that Paul, that rabbi, that Pharisee, who had been steeped in the Old Testament stories, why, it's as if those stories came out of his pores. And so, Paul knew what it meant to know God. But now, something happens. You see, now for Paul, his monotheism, his strict allegiance to one God 
takes on a Trinitarian form because he understands that the Holy Spirit equips us to know God in Jesus Christ. And that's what it's at the heart of Paul communicating to the Philippians in this passage. Okay, with that as the background, let, let, let's read the first part of it. Okay, so Paul writes this. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God whenever I pray. I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time that you heard it until now. And I am certain that God who began the good work with you will continue his work until it finally is finished on the day when Christ returns. Next slide, please. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with tender compassion of Christ. Okay, let's go back to the previous slide. Here's the first thing that Paul says. He communicates to God with thanksgiving. Now, believe it or not, those two slides, that prayer in verses 3 to 11, in the Greek language, is one sentence. And because there's no punctuation in Greek, it's really hard to think where one part stops and another part uh, begins. Um, let's look at it this way. Paul begins by thanking God for the Philippians. And, and, and the meaning, even though it's a long sentence, the, the meaning of it is really quite clear. You see, he is very intent on being a person who's known as a thankful person, a person full of gratitude on behalf of God's people in Philippi. But rather than doing the typical Greek thing in writing a letter and wishing people good help, good health, what does he do? He pushes it forward and he thanks God for them because of what God is doing in their lives. And so right away we see here's a man who's full of gratitude. But his gratitude in the first part of this sentence, is incredibly stupendous. It's always, constantly praying. In all of his prayers, for all of you, with a lot of joy. And so we get the picture right away. This is a man who loves these people. But, but notice, this thanksgiving is not begrudging. It's rather, it's with joy. And I was thinking about that as I was preparing this week. Here's a guy who's going to tell us when we get to the end of this first sentence that he's imprisoned. And in spite of his social location, he's got constantly, for all of you, in all of my prayers, and I'm doing it with joy. I would want to say that this is that defiant nonetheless. 
this defiant, in spite of where I'm writing you from, in my thanksgiving, I've got this huge smile on my face. Now, why does he do this? Okay, that's what continues in verses 5 and 6. Because now the basis for this thanksgiving in this joy is their partnership in spreading the good news, and they've shown it with a gift. No, notice two words here. He says, he says, you have been my partners in spreading the gospel. This is that wonderful New Testament notion about fellowship. Uh, sometimes we even take the Greek word and we put it into English. It's called koinonia. And Paul is saying here, I am thankful with joy for you because of your fellowship, because of your koinonia with me. So in other words, he had a smile on his face because these people were real partners. And then he adds this wonderful thought which goes to the heart of why he's so thankful with joy. He says... Because I am certain that God, who began the good work in you, will continue it. Now, I realize we love Philippians 1.6. We love to isolate that verse, and we love to say to people, I know that the good work that God has started in you, he's going to complete it. Okay, great encouragement to people. But that's not what the passage says. You see, because what's the good work? The good work is their fellowship. And when we get to chapter 4, the good work was the financial contribution that they made to his missionary endeavor. And he's saying, that gift, what God started in you, is bearing fruit and it's going to continue. Don't quit. And so therefore, he can finish this long introduction. We see a man who's communicating with God in thanksgiving and in joy, and what does he say? He says, next slide, please. He says, it's right that I should feel this way for you. In other words, his whole mindset in being a man of thanksgiving and a man with a smile on his face, and he gives them the reason, he says, I know that God is going to keep doing this in you, even if I'm imprisoned. So... It, Let's create a parenthesis here for a second. And I'm going to come back to this in our application, but let me sow the seeds right away. When, when you read verses 3 to 8, it would seem to me the two good questions we need to be asking ourselves this weekend is, how do you take time to thank God? Um, for whom are you thankful what, what are you thankful for? And this prayer and how Paul communicates to God about the Philippians ought to push you and me to ask the question, are we a thankful, joyful group of followers of Jesus? How do we take time? Who do we thank God for? What are we thankful for? Okay, I've seeded the thought. We'll come back to it. Okay, now, let's go to verses 9 to 11. Okay, next slide. I pray that your love will overflow more and more 
and that you will keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may be pure and blameless lives, may, leave, may, may live pure and, li- and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this belongs, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. So you see, he moves from thanksgiving with joy, or as I've said, he moves from gratitude with a smile on his face, and now he moves to intercession and to prayer. Now, look at the slide. This is a shorter, but still, one sentence in the Greek text. But how is Paul praying for these people? Let let me summarize it this way. Paul prays, first of all, that their love will grow. Second, it will be rooted in knowledge and insight. So that, three, they will be able to make the best choices and the best decisions possible. Four, so that they'll be the best people possible. Five, so that they will practice justice, that they'll be just people. Six, he's praying this because it'll all be accomplished by Jesus Christ in their lives. And finally, so that God will get all the credit. I mean, what a prayer. What a way to intercede. And you see, what Paul is doing is communicating to God now about these people he really loves, that he cherishes, but now it's in intercession. It's in supplication. He's really being intentional through those seven steps how he prays for these people. Now, notice a couple of things about the content of this prayer. First of all, Paul's great prayer for the Philippians is that they will be a people who are marked by love. And he wants that love to grow. But second, this isn't just a wishy-washy, quote-unquote, it looks like love. No, it's a love that's rooted in what they know and in what they perceive about God. Picture love as the big part of this request, but this is a love that is rooted in how they know God, which is what the Holy Spirit produces in them, and it's in their relationship in Jesus Christ. Paul says, I want you to know God that way. It's about how you know him. But it's also in your discernment. It's not just, oh, well, we're going to let it go. No, it's got real perception and real discernment at its roots. I want you to notice that this love that's bounded by knowledge and perception has two reasons. He wants them to be able to make the best decisions possible and to be the best people possible. And so as he was praying for them, he didn't want to just simply tell these people, I want you to sit on your laurels because of what you've done for me. No, you've got a problem. You're intimidated by those about you. 
There's some rivalry and jealousy going on in the congregation. In fact, Paul will actually say on two occasions in this letter, he'll use an expression that means that there is electoral ambitions going on in the church. It's a word that Aristotle first coined. And Paul says, that's what's going on in the church. Imagine, we've just come out of a federal election. We're into the midst of a municipal election. And so what the liberals were doing to the conservatives, what the conservatives were doing to the NDP, what the NDP was trying to do to fight off the block, the Greens were going nowhere really, really quick. And, and, and all of that, Aristotle would say, that's political maneuvering. And he didn't like it. And either did Paul. And he said, when that happens in the church, you're not making good decisions. And so Paul's saying, I'm going to pray that you love in knowledge and perception so that you make the best decisions possible. No rivalry, no envy, no political maneuvering going on. But he doesn't want them just to make the best decisions possible. He wants them to be the best people possible. And that's because they're in Christ Jesus. But all of this is because what Paul says, I want God to get all the credit. As he says there at the end, this will bring much glory and praise to God. And so he's praying this not because he wants them to get acclamation and applause from other followers of Jesus as he moves throughout Macedonia. No, he wants God to get all the credit. And that's why he prays. So you see, what we have in this text is Paul communicating to God in a deeply Trinitarian way, but in a deeply spiritual way. It begins in thanksgiving with a smile, and then it includes intercession, prayer, supplication, supplication, supplication. And it's really down to earth. So that takes me back to my previous parentheses. And as we think about that, this, these two sentences for Thanksgiving, how are we going to apply the text? Okay, so what? Here's a couple of thoughts. How do you take time to thank God? I know that it's really easy that when we quote-unquote pray, when we want to communicate with God, uh, it's kind of like, oh, Lord, and then we give him this huge, incredible, long laundry list. And and that's fine. Okay, petition and laundry lists, you know, have have their purpose because we follow a God who's got ears. He listens because he cares. My friends, do what Paul did. Begin with thanksgiving. Maybe what you need to do on the way home is stop at Bureau en Gros or at, uh, at your corner, uh, uh, Dépanard. Get a little empty journal. Start a gratitude journal where you just begin to mark down the things for which you're thankful. Uh, and, and, hey, I seed the thought. Do the same thing with your neighbors. G- give them a gratitude journal. Create a context in your neighborhood because of how tough life is right now. 
where we're not focused on our suffering and our problems, however real they are and however real and important it is to identify for, with people right now in their suffering, help people to be thankful, to be full of gratitude, and do it yourself. Make sure that you begin this weekend. I mean, my wife loves Thanksgiving. I mean, it's a great time of year. The only problem is, you know, there's 364 other days of the year. So we need to keep being thankful, smiling people. But begin and continue and continue and continue. And so then that leads to my other question. For whom are you going to be thankful? You know, get, get beyond your family. Get beyond your colleagues at work. Get, get beyond your, your fellow friends here at the 180. And, and begin to pray and to thank God for your neighbors. Whether it be in your condo, whether it be in your apartment, whether it be at Sejep, whether it be at university, whether it be in your workplace, but, but think by name of the neighbors who live around you and begin to thank God for something that they're doing in your life. Now, maybe you're going to be tempted to say, Glenn, you don't know my neighbors. Okay? That's true. I don't. I don't. Um, but I've got a few of those neighbors too. Um, but it's amazing how being thankful changes things. It's a mindset, as we saw in verses 7 and 8. But um, name those things. So it's not just for the people, but name the things. And begin to push meaning into their lives. you got to know, on Friday, when that little granddaughter came out of my neighbor's house and told me about the book that she was reading that she thought I wrote, that we gave them back at Christmas time. I said, Lord, you're at work, and I didn't even know it. Thank you. <laughs> so yesterday, I went to those neighbors and gave them the gratitude journal. I went with my wife and my two granddaughters. We ended up having a marvelous conversation together. Now, that one particular neighbor has got more comments and more opinions about what we're going through right now than you would want me to tell you about, okay? But I'm trying to push some meaning into his world. See, that's what Paul was doing for the Philippians, and that's what God wants to do in our lives. So that when it's all said and done, he and he alone gets all the credit. Let me pray for you. Lord, I thank you this morning for my friends here at the 180. I pray for my sisters and my brothers. I pray for those that are following us online. And I would ask that this weekend, this would be the beginning of a, of a special spiritual practice of being thankful people. May what Paul wrote to the Philippians and how Paul prayed for the Philippians create a bridge for us to think about what that means for us right here in Laval, right here in the greater census metropolitan area of Montreal. But we want to be thankful to you because you love us, because you sent Jesus, because you give us breath, 
because you care for us. We ask today for mercy because you know and see what we're all going through. This is a global pandemic. We're thankful for how you care for us through what our government has done and is doing. But we also pray for those around the world that don't have what we have, particularly through the vaccinations. And so we pray for our sisters and brothers around the world. But we want to be a people marked by gratitude because we want you to get all the credit. We pray this in your holy triune name.